Well, I'm glad you guys are here, and I'm glad to talk about Easter today. Chip, you'll know that um, I got into it, and I was like, there's all this doctrine I can teach. What do I need to do? How do I cut it down? So, Because, you know, you could go crazy with it, right? I know, right? <clears throat> you remember um, last time I, I talked... I did, I did my not favorite sermon, which I talked about sin and death and all that kind of stuff that's not fun to talk about. And this time I get to talk about all the good stuff, right? I get to talk about what comes on the other side of the cross, what comes with the resurrection. This is the good news of the Christian life is what we get to talk about today. So this is one of my favorite. Jay, you were saying this is your favorite. Who was saying this was their favorite holiday? Oh, it was Joanna. She said this is her favorite holiday. And that lady went crazy on the desserts, you guys. So you make sure that you say thank you to her because she cooked for us tonight. Oh, she's awesome. She's so awesome. You know, um, when I was a lot younger, now remember, I am 39. So don't try to do the math when I tell you this, okay? So almost 30 years ago, because it was before um, my first son David was born. Like I said, don't do the math. Um, I used to work at a place called Craven County Social Services in North Carolina. And I was, the, um, I was someone who took people's application for welfare. At that time, it was called welfare. Is it still called welfare? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's called public assistance or something now. Yeah, it was 30 years ago, so this is a long time ago, right? But back then, um, if you got pregnant and you didn't have a job, you could go in and apply, and you would get things like Medicaid and food stamps, and then it was called AFDC. So AFDC is Aid to Families with Dependent Children. You know what I'm talking about, right, Jay? And um, they would get a check, right? And I did that for about, I don't know, a year and a half, two and a half years, and then Christian came along, and I'm like, I'm out of here. I don't want to work anymore. <laughs> it's work taking care of him, so that's what I'll do. Um, but when I was there, you know, I came in, I was probably 27, 28 when I, you know, don't do the math, when I started working. And um, I was, you know, I was rosy-cheeked and fresh-faced and idealistic and everything that comes with that kind of a thing. And by the time I left, I was bitter and I was um, mean <laughs> and uh, not nice. Because for one, pla for one reason, those places tend to breed um, dissatisfaction and, um, uh, what's the word, entitlement, things like that. And what it did to me was I, the, one of the reasons I became so disillusioned with that kind of um, system was because very few people we ever permanently helped. We would help maybe one to two to three percent people actually move from the system to some kind of independence on their own, right? And what, I, and what I saw was people come in with gaping, bloody wounds, gushing out blood, and we took this little, imagine the smallest little Band-Aid, you know, those little round ones? And we took this little Band-Aid, and we put it on, and we said, there you go, good luck. Hope that works for you. And what I realized is that's a Band-Aid approach, and that doesn't work. It doesn't work to do Band-Aid approaches to the things that are going on in our life. We have to get to the root issues and we have to change and figure out what's going at the root level if we're actually going to have any kind of healing or freedom or change or transformation, right? And so when I worked there, 
I just came away going, man, I only want to be a person who deals with the real answers. I don't want to just do symptomatic kinds of things. I don't want to just fix symptoms. I want to present the real answer. And I'm here to tell you today that the real answer for the problems of our world are in Jesus Christ. That's not in the government. It's not in our systems. It's not in nothing of this world is going to fix what's really wrong with us. Thank you, right? There's only one person who can fix what's really wrong with us, and it's Jesus Christ. And I want to get that right out at the beginning. Because sometimes we just have to lay a foundation that there's, there are a couple, you know, just like our Constitution says there's these inevitable things, there's some inevitable truths that I want to share with you tonight. There's two of them. Are you ready? I think you all know them, but let me just tell them to you anyway. A perfect God exists. Evil exists that separates us from God. Those are the two things that you need to know tonight to get a hold of what I'm trying to tell you. Those things are not debatable. They're not, um, they can't be interpreted by other things. Those are actually real, undeniable truths that you can hang your hat on and that explain every single thing that's going on in today's culture, in today's world those two things. And I'm not going to apologize for that, and I'm not going to try to defend that or argue into it. I'm just going to tell you that's what it is, okay? So that's, so that's the beginning of my sermon, those two assumptions, okay? But I believe in our life and in our experience, we see that those things are true. We don't need anyone to convince us. We all know this world is broken, right? People are just looking for different ways to fix it. And I'm telling you there's only one way to fix it. There's only one way to fix it, and it's Jesus Christ. So let's talk about the evil that separates us from God. You know, there's two ways. This is what I was talking about, Chip, as I was doing my um, researching. You know, you get into all the different doctrine. There's two different ways to look at it. And the first way is called a seminal approach. And that means that all of humanity has been basically infected, so to speak, with the virus of sin because we all physically descend from Adam. Adam is our physical forefather, and because of that, we are all infected with this virus called sin that separates us from God. Um, Not only is the sin inside of our DNA and inside of our bodies, but it's actually like an airborne virus that infects all of creation. Not just us, but all the trees, all the animals, the physical world has been infected, am I right, Chip? Infected with evil because of what happened in the garden. That's called the seminalist approach to evil. And that's what I want to talk about right now, okay? There's another one, but we'll get to that later. Now, I was trying to think of a visual for us. Imagine, who, who here has ever watched The Walking Dead? Or is it just me? Yeah, raise your hands high. There's no shame, no embarrassment here. Okay. So if you watch The Walking Dead, you know, it's this whole zombie genre, right? And the idea is that um, you can be dead yet kind of alive. You You can be dead, infected with the zombie virus, and then kind of come back to life and walk around as if you're alive. But you're really the walking dead, right? Is that a good picture for what? 
the evil virus has done to us? The evil virus, the virus of sin, has made us essentially the walking dead. We can walk around, we do stuff, but we're dead inside. We're dead. There's no life on us. Everything we touch, we infect, and every person that we touch, we infect. That's what sin, the virus of sin, did to this world, okay? And so the question can be, well, God, you're omnipotent. Why can't you just get rid of all this sin? Why can't you just snap your fingers and get rid of it? Well, the, the reality is, if he did that, he'd have to get rid of you and you and you and you and you and you because you all carry it. And he doesn't want to get rid of the people that he loves. You're the, one, you're the problem, but he doesn't want to get rid of you. That's what he'd have to do to eradicate sin from our world is get rid of the people that he loves. And so what he did was he instituted a different way. He started and he said, I'm going to start with a symbolic thing that's going to lead to something, that's going to build up over the ages and have its culmination down the road. And so he started at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. What happened in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned? What happened to them? They were naked. And what did they do? They sewed fig leaves, and they covered themselves up because all of a sudden they felt the sensation of shame. They realized that in some weird place in their mind, they were not worthy or possibly unclean or there was something not right with their nakedness. Isn't that interesting? I think it's significant that what they covered up, and I mean, there's no kids here, so we can talk about it, are these areas, <laughs> right? They covered up the areas that lead to intimacy for us. And those are the areas they felt they had to cover up between themselves and God. So right there, we see a picture of separation of intimacy, right? They didn't cover up their arms. They didn't cover up their head. They had covered up these places. That's a picture of intimacy. What, what did God have to do? What did God do? He, inst he started it in the garden. He's, he's, he killed an animal. He said, listen, I get it that you're trying to protect yourselves with these little fig leaves, but that's just not good enough. This virus that you have, it, you have it's got to be paid for with blood. Blood is the answer to what's going on with you guys. And it's got to be an innocent victim, if you will. It's got to be somebody who didn't participate in your sin, who's not responsible for your sin. They're going to pay for your sin. Do you see where he started at the very beginning to set the stage for us to what Easter is going to represent? I think that's so cool. So now fast forward a little bit, and we've got the Israelites, their, their own um, country, their own people group, if you will. And God says, now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start to bring back this world to myself. I'm going to start to restore it, and I'm going to start to um, bring intimacy back between me and my creation and, and each other. So I'm going to choose one particular group of people. I'm going to choose you, and I'm going to just start doing stuff just with you because you're going to be an example to other people. And so he started this uh, system of animal sacrifice. Think about how many animals were sacrificed in the Old Testament, you guys. There was a sacrifice for everything. You had a kid, there was a sacrifice. You accidentally sinned, there was a sacrifice. 
There was the wheat sacrifice. There was the animal sacrifice. There was festival after festival because sin has to be atoned for. Our sin has to be covered some way, right? So once a year in the um, Hebrew calendar, the, the Israelite cal- calendar, there's a, a um, holiday called Yom Kippur. It means the Day of Atonement. You guys have heard of that, right, Yom Kippur? It's a high holiday in the Jewish culture. This is when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. He would slaughter a perfect animal, a bull or a ram, and it had, to be, it had to be without spot or blemish because, remember, it had to be perfect and innocent. He would slaughter the, um, the animal, and our sins, it was once a year, the sins of the people would be laid symbolically on the back of that animal, okay? And the animal made atonement for the people of Israel once a year. He'd, they'd slaughter, and then after, the, you'll love this. All the millennials will love this. This is so cool. Not only was God concerned about people, he was concerned about the land because the land was defiled. Because sin defiled the land. And so he would sprink, you would sprinkle blood. You'd, you'd take the blood and you'd sprinkle it, and that was symbolic of cleansing the land. You would cleanse the land with a sprinkling of blood. Isn't that so interesting, you guys? So once a year this happened, but here's the sad news. You have to do that year after year after year, and it's not permanent. And in reality, it doesn't really work. It doesn't really work because it's only the blood of an animal. It's not the blood of God. It's not the blood of a perfect man. It's only the blood of an animal, and it only lasts for so long. So as Israel continued and got more and more surrounded by, by pagan nations and foreign nations. They began to fall away from God. They began to um, not do their sacrifices, not take their sacrifices seriously. It just became a ritual to them. It wasn't a cleansing event for them. And this is what God said in Isaiah 111. He says, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? says the Lord. I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. And he goes on to say, this is what I want you to do. This is what I expect of you. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. But no, your rulers are rebels, partners with thieves. They all love bribes, They chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. i got news for you. God was the first social social justice person out there. He was the first person who cared about justice in the land. He said, said when, when, when Cain spilled the blood of his brother's, his brother's blood, he said, I hear the blood crying out to me from the ground. I can hear the blood crying out. God cares about justice. He cares about right and wrong. He cares about the oppressed, the fatherless. He cares about godless rulers. He cares about rulers that don't submit to him and champion for the um, underdog, the oppressed. That's a big deal, you guys. We need to hear that. God really cares about justice. 
But because God really cares about justice, he has to care about our sin. And that's, that's in the way. Our sin is in the way because God's a perfect God and we've sinned against him. And because God cares about sin, he's got, he can't just let our sin go unaddressed, if you will. Right? He can't, let one, he can't be about one thing but not another because he's a perfect God. And he's a just God. So he's got to make a way, if you will, to fulfill the law of justice and then to bring about justice, as only God can do. Right? Isn't that so interesting? So in Isaiah, we get this picture. We get this picture that, that God, he's fed up. He's had enough. He's handed, he's handed his people over to Ruler after ruler after ruler to all kinds of things to say, listen, I'm tired of you acting this way. I don't want to punish you. I don't want to discipline you. What am I going to do? And God says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up somebody for myself. I'm going to raise up a man who's going to be my servant. He's going to be a suffering servant. He's going to be a king. He's going to be a king from the line of David, a man after my own heart. This is what Isaiah says. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised up and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness, and he will sprinkle many nations. The kings will shut their mouths because of him for what they were not told they will not see and what they have not heard they will not understand. That's why when Jesus said from the very beginning, he said, I'm going to come. And you think I'm going to come as a king to conquer, but I'm going to come as a ransom for many. I'm going to come as the once and all atonement, covering, that's going to allow you to enter in and have relationship with God. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice so that we don't have to continually sacrifice that's been done once and for all. I love how Bill Johnson puts it. He says, the son of God became the son of man so the sons of men could become the sons of God. Let's say that again. The son of God became the son of man so the sons of men could become the sons of God. Do you remember um, any of you that watched like The Passion or know your Bible um, at all? When Jesus was on the cross and he had been put on the cross, and he was like, I'm thirsty. And they gave him some vinegar to drink. Do you remember that? And then he said, it's finished. And he gave up his spirit. Do you remember what the first thing was happened after that? The veil was torn. They stabbed him after that. That's a good answer. <laughs> the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The veil was the... Um, it prevented people from going into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies in the temple is where the presence of God actually sat. And it, it's the, the veil prevented people, normal, regular people, from entering into the Holy of Holies because they were not clean. They had sin. They had that virus of sin. When Jesus died, the first thing that happened was that veil tore from the top to the bottom. I want you to know it was 30 feet tall, 30 feet wide, and it was like four inches thick. So it didn't just like rip accidentally. You know what I'm saying? 
It was a big deal. And it ripped from the top to the bottom. What does that signify? That God did it, right? God was the one himself who tore away the veil, so now we get to enter into the Holy of Holies. There's nothing stopping us from entering into the Holy of Holies and having communion with the Lord and each other. I think that's a really cool symbol. All right, so we talked about the idea of sin as a virus, okay, where we're all infected and the world is infected and we're all zombies and we're all the walking dead and all that kind of thing, right? That's a cool picture. There's another doctrinal term called federalism. Have you guys, who's heard about federalism? Chip, have you heard about that before? Chip, I get to teach you about federalism. Federalism is the idea that one person represents a whole group. Now, we actually live under that in the United States. Whether you like it or not, Trump represents the United States. He makes, and, and in some ways speaks, we don't have a voice in it, but what he says applies to all of us in a limited way. It would, that, would be, that would work more if he was the king, which we can argue that later, but if he was the king, he would be the head for us, right? In the Bible, federalism applies to Adam and to Christ. So Adam is the head of, head of humanity. He is the person who represents us all, all right? When he sinned, his sin was imputed to us before we were even born. Isn't that weird? Do you guys know what imputed means? It means we're responsible for it just because we're related to him. Not that he transmitted it DNA, but because he's our representation. But the super cool thing about that is that applies to Christ. Christ is the second Adam. Now he's the head of the new creation, and his righteousness is imputed to us. Even though we might still be infected with a sin virus, now we're righteous because he's the head of the new creation. Isn't that cool? That's called federalism. I'll give you a couple things that are um, similar between Adam and Christ. They both had miraculous beginnings. They were both perfect and innocent until, until Adam fell. Adam was hum humanity's head. Christ is the head of the new creation. They're both givers of life. They're both rulers. A deep sleep produced a beautiful bride. So a deep sleep for Adam produced Eve, and the death of Christ produced the bride of Christ. Isn't that cool? A great failure versus a great victory. Disobedience versus obedience. Judgment and death. And a curse versus restoration. Isn't that cool, you guys? Here's the thing about um, Easter. There's two parts to Easter. There's one about that Christ was the atoning sacrifice. He was the once and for all sacrifice. His blood covered everything. We don't need animal sacrifices anymore. We're all done with that. But the second part that Easter is about is restoration. Now, we may be the walking dead. We may be the walking dead because of our sin. But the imputation of Christ covers all of that, not only covers it so it's no longer seen, but now all of a sudden, his blood goes in, starts to restore us, and starts to heal us, and starts to bring us back to the original state, the original beauty that we were created for. That's the good news of Easter. Not just death, that's fantastic, 
restoration, resurrection. We're no longer the walking dead. I love that. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Here's one of my favorite verses. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. I said that last time I preached. I think I want to say that every single time. That was one of my very favorite verses. He was not their prisoner. They were his. And so here's the thing, you guys. If he was not their prisoner, neither are we. If he was not the prisoner to death and disease, neither are we. They're our prisoners. We get to step on them. Our heel gets to crush the head of Satan. So every single thing that you're going through today, every single heartache or hard thing has been already not only paid for at the cross, but conquered by the resurrection of Jesus. We have, what's that, what's that verse? Resurrection power inside of us because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we get to have a do-over. Every single mistake that we've made is not held against us. What does it say about our sins? They're as far as the east is from the west. They're in the sea of forgetfulness. Jesus remembers them no longer. They're completely and totally gone from us, and we get to do a, a, a do-over every single time we need to do a do-over. How many of us need more than one do-over? I know I do. I make a lot of mistakes, like the same mistakes, over and over and over. And the thing about God, he's like, well, you know, we'll keep going around this mountain until you get it, but I'll go with you. I mean, I'm not going to, like, let you do it on your own. I'll keep going with you, and I hope one day we get off this crazy train, you know, but I'll for sure go with you. That's what I love about God. He's never, he's never like, I'm so disgusted that we're back here again. He's never like that. Remember, what's our DNA? God's always in a good mood. He's for us, not against us. One of the other things that I love is that we get to partner with the Holy Spirit. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he said, I'm going to leave so that someone can come down even better than me and be your friend, and you're going to do greater things than what I did. And Sometimes that's hard to believe because that's a lot about signs and wonders and miracles, and, you know, that takes a lot of faith, but I want to tell you a story. Two days ago, I got a phone call from a, a, a friend that I've known for a long, long time. She's been a Bible study friend. She's been somebody that's been, um, knows my, you know, we've shared our stuff with each other. We've cried with each other. We've, we've prayed with each other. It's that kind of friend. It's the friend that's the community, right, that knows about your kids, knows everything that's going on. And when her, she has a daughter, and when her daughter was in high school, you know, her daughter is one of these passionate kind of people. She's all in or all out, all in or all out. We know some of those people, right? Full of passion. Well, sometimes her passion wasn't always good because then she was out doing things she wasn't supposed to be doing, you know? I can remember one time that we, um, she's like, Paul, I can't find her. I've got to call the police. Well, she was out at 2 o'clock at night in the field, in the, the schoolyard, smoking, you know, the marijuana. 
and um, drinking and doing whatever when she was like, you know, 15, worried her mother to death. And we, we would pray and we would cry and we'd do all these things. And so, and this girl at one time, you know, she went to Young Life and she was on fire for the Lord. And then she made a decision that, you know, all that was hogwash and she was an atheist. And everybody who was a Christian was kind of idiotic and didn't have a brain in their head and et cetera, et cetera, right? And this has been going on now for about eight years, eight to ten years, where um, there's been a consistent prayer of this mother's heart to, Lord, get this girl, because I know, I know that once you get a hold of her, she's going to be on fire for you, right? And this girl has struggled with alcohol off and on, and she's been with different boyfriends that have been good for her and different boyfriends that have been bad for her. And she went to hairdressing school and didn't like that and went to this school and didn't like that and then went to another school. Well, now she finally was at, at a school where she's got her English degree, and she seems to be doing better, and she was mostly sober, not drinking very much, but kind of binge drinking, you know, like every five or six months or something like that. And she was with a, a boyfriend who was a, I think he was a Marine, or he was military, but he was straight-laced, and he was black and white, and he was not going to be putting up with her binging around. And what happened was she went on another binger, binge, a bender, I guess is what they call it, went on another bender. And he said, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. We're done. I'm not having anything to do with you while you're like this. You need to get help, and you need to get help for yourself. And there's no discussion. We're not going to have any kind of, you know, long, drawn-out breakup, we're over. Boy, that'll do it to you, right? When somebody just is like, I'm not having this anymore. Well, that broke her. That broke her. So now I've known this girl for a long time. I've known her mom for a long time. So I get this phone, I get this text message. I love it. And they're um, at the union. And her mom goes, can you come over and talk to my daughter? I'd really like her to hear about CR. I think she's open to that. And I'm like, when and where? When can I go? You know, and she's, and she's like, yeah, can you come over? I'm like, well, I don't look good. She goes, we don't care. So I went over there, and here's this little girl, 26, 27 years old, tattoos up and down her arms, crying her eyes out. I'm, she's just broken. She's broken in half, right? And she had tried um, AA before, but just couldn't make it work for some reason. I don't understand why. And so I said, well, let me tell you what Celebrate Recovery is. And I kind of told her what it meant, you know, in my life. And it's about hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And it has God. It talks about God, not just a higher power, you know. And we, we kind of talked about it for um, a while. And then, of course, her mother says, I really want you to pray for her. And I'm like, wow. I mean, what if, what if I don't have what it takes? Like, what if I'm not good enough? You know, or what if she gets offended at me? Because, you know, she's been an atheist for a long time now, right? She's been either mad at God or mad at somebody. And I'm like, Lord, this is going to have to be all you because I'm just a nobody, you know. So we go out to my car, and her mom sits in the back, and she sits in the front, you know, and I just start praying. And, you know, I go for it because I'm like, listen, she's an atheist, but now she seems to be open, so I'm just going to go for it, right? I'm going to pray everything off of her. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray everything that's been on her she's going to be set free from and she's going to walk forward in power and she's going to be this incredible evangelist for the Lord and I just start praying everything over her and you know you just see you see the Lord when you see the Lord work she's just crying just tears dripping down her face and then her mom's sitting in the back just tears dripping down her face and I'm like man Lord you're so good because that's not me that's just you 
you know. And so I called her mom the next day, and I said, so how's she doing? Like, did it take? You know, did it take? She goes, oh, Paula. She goes, you don't even understand what you did. She goes, you do not understand the words that you spoke over her and what they meant. I said, really? And she said, yeah. She said she got right home, and she looked on the computer for the, a Celebrate Recovery group near her. And um, when we went out for dinner, she grabbed our hands, and she said, let's pray. You know, whereas before, whenever they would pray over dinner, she would um, leave the room. Like if she was there, she would leave the room because she didn't want to have anything to do with God. And she goes, yeah, we were eating dinner, and she grabbed our hands and said, let's pray. I said, God, you just do it. And so I just want to tell you something. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about resurrection power. That's what we get to partner with when we say yes to the Lord. When we say, yes, Lord, take this walking dead body that's mine, impute to me your righteousness, give me your Holy Spirit inside of me, and let me bring restoration to your broken world. That's all I want to do. I just want to bring the real answer to the real problem. And the real answer is Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen from anybody?